Amen. All right. I was walking the other day, uh, a couple days ago, and I felt like the Lord started speaking to me. It was just a thought. I, you know, I don't know how the Lord speaks to you. I just had a thought. And it was a scripture that came to my mind, and I felt like the Lord kind of um, was showing me through this scripture uh, things that were going to be happening um, in our church and around us as well. And so I was a little uh, trying to figure out if he wanted me to sh- share this tonight, and I feel like he does. So, uh, Jonathan, the move of God, 1 Samuel 14, 8 through 15, the Bible says, Jonathan, Jonathan said, very well, he's talking to his armor bearer, let us cross over to these men and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up. By the way, there's a lot more to this passage than what I'm reading. I just, and not, and not to read the whole thing, I just grabbed a little excerpt, okay? For the Lord, if they say to us, come up to us, then we'll go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this will be a sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of their holes where they have hidden. And the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us, and we will show you something. Jonathan said to the armor-bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor-bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor-bearer killed them. The first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor-bearer made was about 20 men within about half an acre of land. And there was trembling in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and the raiders also trembled, and the earth quaked, so that it was a very great trembling. So let me give you a little background here. King Saul was the first king of Israel. Up until that time, they'd had judges. The Spirit of the Lord would come upon certain people that became leaders. This word judge means a leader. Um, doesn't necessarily mean a guy with a robe. It could be that. But, um, but King Saul was a, a king that they had asked for. He was the first king that God inaugurated into that position. He'd been leading Israel in their battle against the enemies, which currently was the nation of the Philistines. Saul had proven to be, uh, even though he was a a very uh, capable warrior, he is insecure. Uh, He needed the approval of the people. And um, um, he was, uh, uh, just prior to our text, the Israelites had been called out to fight against the Philistines, and they were confronted with a very strong enemy contingent. They began to hide. The people that were called out to battle began to hide. They began to leave the battle. They began to join up with the Philistines. Saul, uh, being insecure uh, as he was, unwisely yielded to the pressure of the moment and foolishly offered a burnt offering to God. Well, let me read the scripture before I go on. 1 Samuel 13, 6 through 7. When the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed, and the people hid in caves and thickets and rocks and holes and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. So basically, he'd lost the majority of his army, uh, was worried about what was going to happen, had been waiting for Samuel to come because he had been given instructions that uh, Samuel would offer the burnt offering, asking the Lord to help them in their fight with the Philistines. Saul couldn't wait. He crossed over into a sphere that was reserved for the priests of God. And as a result, when the priests and the prophets Samuel uh, uh, did arrive, he gave him a prophecy that his kingdom, his rule, was going to be taken from him and given to another. And we know that later on down the road, that was uh, uh, going to be a man by the name of David. But anyway, uh, that's kind of the background. And so with that in mind, let's jump into the text. Uh, first thing we want to look at and uh, is Jonathan. And Jonathan was King Saul's son, but he was also a captain or uh, a leader over uh, the uh, part of the army. And uh, so first thing we want to look at is Jonathan's leadership. First Samuel 13 and 2, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul and Michmash and in the mountains of Bethel. And 1,000 were with Jonathan and Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent away, every man to his tent. So Jonathan, Saul's son, was the prince of Israel and a capable and, and fearless as well as a faith-filled leader in the army of God. So while Israel was abandoning their, abandoning their posts, they'd been uh, reduced to a, a very small contingent of people. They were just sitting there. You know, uh, armies will oftentimes uh, come together uh, and face each other in battle, but it'll take a long time sometimes before they actually uh, begin to, they'll have little skirmishes here and there, but a lot of times it's not full-on battles for a while. So they were in that position for a long time, and um, Jonathan, as one of the leaders in faith, decided that he could 
and would do something about the situation that they were in. So he and his armor bearer set out to see if God would bring about a change in their situation as they put their trust in him. The name Jonathan actually means God has given. What we will see is that God will give the Israelites victory over the enemy, and it would come through the faith-filled actions of Jonathan and his armor bearer. Now, remember, God has given. God has given, in this particular instance, what we're going to find is God has given us, and you could add on to this, what has he given to us? He has given us victory. This is the narrative. And I want to go ahead and bring a little bit into where we're going, and then we'll go back and, and go look at the text a little bit more. Many in the body of Christ today, because of all that's been going on, you know, the political environment, the, the health environment, all the situations that's been going on. In fact, we were talking to somebody about that yesterday. I think it was Carol and Kevin. We were talking about that. You know, a lot of people are, are losing their fear of COVID. And really, the real strength of COVID was not the illness. It was the fear. I'm not saying that there wasn't a, a problem uh, with a, a health issue. We're not saying that at all because some of us have lost people to that. I, uh, my own personal opinion, I think more people... Uh, were lost, and they're going to cut me off Facebook for this, but I don't care. I mean, YouTube. Uh, more people were lost because of the treatments that they were given than because of the virus itself. Okay? Uh, but the reality is, um, I believe that COVID was real, but the strength of COVID was the fear that was behind it. And so a lot of people were losing that. Okay? And, and they're starting to lose that. But in our environment today, Many in the body of Christ, another thing we were looking at, just kind of going down this, uh, hold, hold a little pause here, is that a, a lot of people that were in church um, decided that they weren't going to go to church because of COVID, and they started watching from home, and they never came back. Now, our church, I think, is an anomaly because we, we got most everybody back. I think there was maybe one or two people that didn't come back, you know, and we got back pretty quickly, but there's a lot of churches where they've been reduced to, to almost nothing, right? So why do I say that? Because think of our text. All of a sudden you have this army, huge army. Fear is beginning to invade the army. Many began to hide in thickets and caves, and some even join the army of the Philistines uh, as a result. So today many in the body of Christ are running and hiding, even gone back into the world. But God is still God. And what we're going to find is that God is with those who aren't stopped or gone backwards. God is with those who are moving forward. Everywhere there is a company of Jonathans and their armor bearers who are by faith moving forward and attacking the enemy, going on the offensive they will find that God is with them. And a great move will come about that will beckon and embrace all who have abandoned the army, abandoned their posts, gone into the world. There will be such a move that's going to come. It will beckon them back, and they will again take up their positions and fight. All right. I said that. I shouldn't have said that because now we can go home. But can I give you a little bit more? Or I'll give you a little more, all right? So getting back to our text, for our purposes, the armor bearer, don't get, don't get caught up with Jonathan and his armor bearer because they're types, they're metaphors, okay? So for our purpose, the armor bearer is one who served Jonathan and fought with Jonathan. They were bound together. In this particular text, there was Jonathan and there was one armor bearer. The armor bearer, however, could also represent all those who are bound in covenant in spirit to the leader they are serving and fighting with. The, 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 uh, it can either be one or it can be many, but basically I kind of look at this as churches. Right? You have leaders of churches and you have the people that are, that are bound together in covenant with them, and what are they doing? They're battling not people. Unfortunately, churches have battled with one another, but that's not who we're supposed to be fighting. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, rulers, spiritual wickedness in high places. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the enemy of God, against the devil and his minions. Amen? 
Okay, so um, with that in mind, let's just say that Jonathan and his armor bearer can represent a company of believers, whether it be a home group, a church group, a denomination, it can just a company of believers, okay? So let's move on. So Jonathan's leadership was the first thing we looked at, and the next thing we want to look at is Jonathan's initiative. I kind of went a little bit forward, but I'm going to retrace, and then we'll go back again. First Samuel 14 and 1, it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison that is on the other side. But he didn't tell his father. So Jonathan acted with his companion in what would become a great move of God. And then here's, here's what's key. So a lot of people think that, oh, man, you've got to get all the leaders together. You've got to get all the pastors together. You've got to get all these people. If you want to see a move of God, that's how it's going to happen. And I'm not against that, and I'm not saying that it can't happen that way, but it didn't happen that way here. This was not a pre-planned initiative that, became, uh, uh, um, that began in the top echelons of leadership. This was not sanctioned by the heads of the organization. Moreover, this move didn't happen because everyone was in unity, meeting together, praying together, agreeing together, marching together. No, this was a local company of two who took a bold step of faith, and God moved with them, in them, and through them to accomplish a great feat among the people for the deliverance of the people. By faith, this small company experienced a breakthrough through and stepped into the purposes of God for them and the people. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's wrong to, to, to meet in unity, but I want to tell you something. If you want to try to get Christians in unity, uh, what you're going to do is you're going to have to focus on the least common denominator. And we can't even all agree that we're Christians. <laughs> I mean, because some churches, I mean, I'm telling you, one church, you get together, all the churches, well, I don't believe you guys are Christians. Why? Because you all don't have the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and you've got to be saved. You're not saved until you have the baptism of the other person. No, no. You, I mean, and so we're just, so what's the lowest common denominator that we can experience so that we can be together in unity? And what you've done is you've watered down, and yeah, you can be unified, but you're unified in so little, how can you go forward and fight? Now, I'm not against that. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. What I'm saying is if, if that is your model, you're going to be waiting a long time for your model to come to fruition. It doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes it's a company experiences a breakthrough, and that breakthrough has a ripple effect. It's like a dam that breaks, and when the dam breaks, even though there was a couple of people that may have been instrumental in the dam breaking, that water begins to affect all. Now, we're not saying it's the best way to do it. I'm not saying it's the worst. I'm just saying there are multiple ways of God moving, right? Okay, so third point we want to look at, Jonathan's results. 1 Samuel 14, 13 through 15. Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him, and the enemy fell before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. So what was that? Stab him. Armor bearer kills him. Stab him. And by the way, these two are in company with one another, they're not just like, hey, man, you do what I say. He actually asked the armor bearer, and the armor bearer said, I'm with you. You got to have, that's where the unit, we're unity of purpose. We're going to go into battle together. There, our lives are in each other's hands. I got your back, and you got my back. And, and so the, that first slaughter, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, was about 20 men within about a half an acre of land. So half an acre of land is about, uh, let's just say, a, 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 a lot that a typical house is on is a little bit less than a half an acre. You know, so a corner lot might be close to about a half an acre. Well, in that half an acre of land, they killed about 20 men. All right? So you're saying... Wow, that's pretty significant. It is pretty significant, unless you're looking at an army of thousands and thousands of hundreds of thousands of people, and you might think, well, what good is that going to do? But see, that's where we, we often make a mistake. We, we often think that unless we accomplish something huge or can accomplish something huge, we're not willing to do what we can where we're at because we think, what good is it going to do? But see, Jonathan didn't think that way. I don't think, I don't know that Jonathan and his armor bearer thought we're going to change the tide of battle. I think they just thought we can't keep with the status quo. We've got to believe God for something. Maybe we'll just have a small victory, but a small victory is better than no victory. But what we find is that when they stepped down in faith and God met them, 
I'm going to put a pause here. Okay, there's a text in the, I think it's in 2 Kings, where uh, an enemy army was coming against the people of God. I believe Elisha was telling the king to hold on. Famine was severe. King was upset. He saw because uh, people were, uh, two, two ladies were arguing. One had eaten their baby and they wanted to eat the other baby. It was pretty bad. He came to Elisha. He was upset. You told me to hold on. God hadn't done anything about it. And then what happened was Elisha said, this time tomorrow things are going to change. But in the meantime, what had happened, there were four lepers outside the gates. And they said, hey, man, we're, 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 we're dying. Why don't we go at least, uh, you know, present ourselves to the enemy? If they kill us, what have we lost? If they take us in, at least we'll have some provisions. So they start marching toward the enemy. And you can read the story several different ways. I mean, I don't know that it happened this way, but you could read the story this way. The Bible says that the enemy army heard a sound of marching. They thought another army was coming, and they fled in the middle of the night and left all their provisions. Now, I don't know how it happened, but could it be that what they heard was God moving, but God was maybe moving with the lepers? I'm not saying that he was. But it's interesting to me as the lepers made a move toward the camp, they began to hear the sound of an enemy army marching. See, sometimes we think that it's about us and what we can do. It's not. But it doesn't mean that we're not important. God has chosen to work with us and through us. But unless we're willing to take a step, right, we'll let the armies of God go first. And, 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 and God is saying, well, if you take a step, the armies of God will be released. So the lepers started going forward. And again, you can read the text a little bit differently, but I choose to read it this way. As they began to step forward, it's like God said, I'm going to move with you. And they heard the sound of the angel armies. They didn't know they were angel armies, but then when it began, they began to flee. But it was those four men stepping forward that caused a great victory that everyone in the, in the, uh, in the nation would experience. Now let's get back to our text, Okay. Uh, because of Jonathan and his armor bearer, they, I don't know that they had this in mind, but two of them said, we got to try something. I don't think they imagined that they were going to bring about this great move of God that was going to deliver the whole land, but they did something, and when they did something, it's like God said, all right, I got somebody to work with. Then it's saying Ezekiel 20, I think it's 22 and 30, I looked for someone to stand in the gap, and I couldn't find anything. I couldn't find anyone. And so it's like because he couldn't find anyone, his hands were tied. You say, God, he can do anything. Of course he can do anything, but he's chosen to work through us. Right? So he's, if he's going to be integritous to himself, he's going to work through people. He's going to work through men and women. And as we do our part, God does his part. It's kind of like he said with Moses. He says, go out in front of that, that, that sea and lift up your staff. Well, what good is that going to do? Well, it's not going to do a lot of good from the strength of man, but if you'll do your part, I'll do my part. Now, he didn't say all that, but I'm trying to present a narrative here. As we do our part, it, 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 this is not the best way to say it, but uh, theologically, I might get uh, nailed for this one. But as we do our part, it frees God to do his part. Right? He said, well, he's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. Yes, he can. But he's chosen to work with us. And it's almost like as we do our part, it's like God says, now I can do my part. We keep saying, you first, God, and he keeps saying, you first. I got gotcha. you. But you go out there and you do your part. And if you do your part... I'm going to back you up. And when I back you up, I may take over, but I'm going to be there for you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So um, the, so these, these two men were used by God to start what we're going to find. Did you read where it said in there that the, uh, there was trembling in the camp and in the field and among the people? This wasn't like... Ooh, what's happening there? Is some good stuff going? No, this was a literal shaking. You know, you were talking about what happened in Turkey. The, the earth was shaking. Why was the earth shaking? Well, if I was a preacher, I'm more of a teacher than a preacher, but if I was a preacher, I could talk about maybe God saw what was happening there and he had to move his foot so he could see what was happening. When he moved his foot, the ground began to shake. When the ground began to shake, the people, oh, but I'm not a preacher. Okay, anyway. 
<laughs> All I know is that when they began to move, God began to move, and when God began to move, the ground began to shake. And what happened? There was a literal earth-shattering movement that brought victory to the people of God at large. What I want you to notice is that when that earth-shattering movement began to take place, many of the people who were hiding in caves, in thickets, in their living rooms, in their dens, in their Christian groups that they don't want anybody to know about, Many of the people that had gone back out into the world, all of a sudden what happened? They were now activated because they felt an earth-shattering trembling. They felt God moving, and they said, I've got to be a part of this. And they began to go back and take up their positions again in the armies of God. Now, I also want you to notice, and we're not going to, there's so much I could touch here, but I don't have all night. I mean, there were so many things I could talk about, but I won't do all of that. But I just want you to notice, maybe some of y'all can go home and you can write some stuff, or I don't know. But I also want you to notice that when they came back, no one was offended that they were returning. I can't believe you left. And you want to come back now, now that God is, nobody did that. Why? <laughs> because they were still in a fight. They understood their fight was not with each other. Their fight was with the Philistines. And we need all the help that we can in order to accomplish what God has sent us to do. And that's to back the enemy back down from what he's been doing. Now, I want you to know, we keep looking for government to do what needs to be done, and government needs to do that. But it's not going to come through, the, through government. It's going to come through the people of God. It's going to come through the church of God, many of who will go into government. But what's happening is we've, we've withdrawn from the world. We've bought into some false narratives that says uh, God's coming back and he's going to rescue us a weak, feeble, sick, and bride. But that's not he's coming to rescue. He's coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle. He's coming back for a bride that is, that is shining. Arise and shine for your light has come. And how are we going to rise and shine if we're hiding under a bushel? No, God... God loves this world, and we, he's not coming back on a rescue mission to, to keep us from being overrun by the enemy. What, he's wanting to what he wants us to recognize is who it is that lives inside of us. And like Jonathan and his armor bearer, rise up and say, I've had enough. I'm going to fight. I'm going to war. And maybe God will be with us. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm sorry. <laughs> when they came back, and I think Carol was talking about it, they're not going to come back the way you think. They're going to come back dressed as shoulders. They're going to come back with tattoos on their arms, earrings in their nose, hair, all different colors. Now, I'll just be honest with you. When I see rings in people's noses, I want to pull them. I'm going to have to resist. <laughs> I'm a, hey, listen, I'm a guy. At heart, I'm a guy. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not. Uh, I'm 100% male. Well, I'm uh, uh, going off on a rabbit trail when I was, uh, some of you all know this, when I was, uh, I have three girls in my house, and we even had a girl dog at one point. Only testosterone in the house. So anyway, I, was, I walked to my kids, and I just went, hey, what's going on? My wife looks at me and she says, what's wrong with you? I looked at her and I said, I don't know. And then uh, uh, Mason came over to the house. Uh, Jamie brought Mason and her kids over because she wanted to talk with Anna. And so I'm sitting on the sofa while they're chatting. Mason comes over, sits next to me, and he looks at me and he goes, what? And he hits me on the stomach. And I said, there's nothing wrong with me. That's what boys do.
All right. How'd I get off on that? Oh, they're going to come back. <laughs> they're going to come back. Look, and you know what? We don't need to be chastising them. We don't need to be condemning them. We need to welcome them back. Now, it doesn't mean that over a process of time, God's not going to do his work, you know. But what you look like on the outside doesn't determine who you are on the inside. And I want to tell you something. Some of the best fighters may not look like good fighters. In fact, some of the better fighters today in what's called special ops, they try their hardest not to look like military. I'm just saying. So anyway, when they returned, they were accepted and they were welcomed. First Samuel 14, 20 through 23, Saul and all the people who were with him assembled and went to the battle. And indeed, every man's sword was against his neighbor and there was great confusion. Moreover, the Hebrews who were the Philistines before that time who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. It's like the people that had gone out into the world, they decided, I'm going back home. What did I tell you before? The prodigals are coming home. What did I say? That their children are coming home. They're coming home. They're coming home. And the Lord, and, I, and you know this. I've been here 19 years. I never, rarely ever say this. The Lord, in a way, he made me say it. Thus says the Lord, your children are coming home. So anyway, likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them in battle. So the Lord saved not just Jonathan and his armor bearer that day, the Lord saved Israel that day. And the battle shifted to Beth event. But I want you to know, the battle's still going on. Even though they won a great victory, the battle's still going on. Are you hearing what I'm saying? As a church, we need to understand we're in a battle. Until the day that Jesus comes back, we're in a battle. But, but you know what? It's not a battle that we, I mean, it's not a hard battle if you recognize light is not overcome by darkness. Darkness is overcome by light. So it's not like, oh, I got to work. No, you just have to be who Jesus called you to be. You have to have faith like Jesus called you to have faith. You need to be willing to move forward into the battle not away from the battle. You need to be engaged. I'm not talking about married engaged. I'm talking about engaged in the conflict. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. When you've done all to stand, stand. The devil comes as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. We wrestle not against flesh and blood but against powers, principalities, rulers, spiritual weakness in high places. But the, the inference is not that we lose. The inference is that we win. But you've got to be willing to resist. You've got to be willing to stand. You've got to be willing to fight. Yes. Why aren't we willing to fight? Because we're afraid of losing our lives. I'm not talking about always physically, but we're afraid of losing something. I may lose, like Saul, what if I lose the respect of the people? You know what? I'd rather have the respect of God than the respect of the people. People are fickle. I love you. I know we're all people. But I'm telling you, people are fickle. Right now, y'all love me, but something's going to happen, and somewhere down the road, some of you aren't. My job is not to please you. My job is to please him. Because I won't stand before you at the end of time and say, and the people look at me and say, well done, pastor. No, I'm going to stand before God, and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. But I want you to know, it's not just me that's going to stand before him. You're going to stand before him one day. And you want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. But if you're worried about what the people think, you will bow to whom you fear. But it, and if you're, if you're afraid of losing something that the people can give you, whether it be fame, whether it be acknowledgement, whether it be love, whatever the people can give you, you'll sell your soul to get it. I mean, look at Hollywood. I'm not saying that all, 100%, but pretty much that's what they do. They sell their soul to get what they want, which is fame, recognition, power, money, celebrity status, Right? 
anytime. It's, it's, you're going to lose out at some point. You're either going to lose out with the world or you're going to lose out with God. Doesn't it say that in Matthew 10 somewhere? If you, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Right? So anyway, um, in Jonathan, the next point we're going to look at is Jonathan's denunciation, 1 Samuel 14, 24-27. And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had placed the people under oath, saying, Curse is the man who eats any food until evening before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. So none of the people tasted food, and all the people of the land came to a forest, and there was honey on the ground. And when the people had come into the woods, there was this honey dripping, but no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath. Therefore he stretched out the end of the rod that was in his hand, dipped it in the honeycomb, and put his hand to his mouth, and his countenance brightened. So as great as this victory was, Jonathan was still a part of the greater community of people under the leadership of Saul. In his zeal, Saul made some unwise religious declarations, proclamations based on his confused ideals of what they should be doing during this move of God. And those proclamations he made had the ability to undermine what God was doing and even bring great harm to the ones God was using to initiate this great victory. So Jonathan was accused of violating this sense of protocol. By the way, he didn't violate the word of God he violated the king's proclamation. You hear what I'm saying? Jonathan acknowledged the violation, but he disputed quietly, not publicly, quietly, its unwise character. Why am I mentioning this? Do you see how... Do you see how not only was the great victory threatened but the leader of the movement was charged. He had inadvertently and unknowingly violated the protocol and was being denounced by it. He was condemned to die. Thus, for our sakes, he was condemned to be cut off from the people he was fighting for. Now, what am I trying to get you to understand by this? First of all, let me tell you, they did the same thing to Jesus. Why did Jesus come into the world? He that knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Yet the very people, the very ones he came for, they didn't receive him. But to those that did receive him, they experienced life. But to those that didn't receive him, they crucified him. Right? There were incredible things taking place through Jesus' ministry, but they wanted to judge him by a religious tradition. A religious protocol derived from the Word of God. It was a tradition, but it wasn't the Word of God. Um, a protocol that had, they had put in place, and because he violated their protocol, they sought to kill Jesus. They sought to kill the move of God that was taking place by taking out the leader of that movement, which happened to be the Lord himself. Let me give you the scripture for that. Mark 2, 20, 24, and then 27 uh, through, uh, through 3, 2. It'll be up there. And the Pharisees said to Jesus, um, look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Because see, for them, it was all about the Sabbath. And they had created all these protocols about, the, the, the Bible actually says, uh, um, honor, I'm trying to remember, how does it go? Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, right? But all these other rules they had made in order to guard that commandment, but the rules that they had made were not God's rules, they were man-made rules. And Jesus violated their man-made rules, but he never violated the Word of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And they said, why does he do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, when it says lawful there, he's not talking about lawful according to the Word of God, but lawful according to the traditions and the commandments that they had made. All right? And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. 
Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. And you would jump down to verse 1 of the next chapter. He says, He entered the synagogue again, and a man was there with a withered hand, who had a withered hand, and so they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so they might accuse him. So they didn't care about what was happening with the man. They didn't care about the ministry. What they cared about was whether he violated the protocol. And when he violated their protocol, it says in Mark 3, 6, the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him, kill him, cut him off from the people. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And that's what was happening with Jonathan. Jonathan hadn't heard about that dipped it in his hand, eating the honey. Things began to change. They're trying to figure out what's happening here and what began to happen. All of a sudden, that religious protocol comes up. Jonathan violated the protocol. Saul had said, whoever eats of the, anything before the, the end of the day, they're going to die. Saul says, it doesn't matter who it is, if it's the people or me or my son. If we violate the protocol, God will show us, and they're going to have to die. And so what happened, they find out it's Jonathan, and the pronouncement is, you got to die. Let's get to the last point, Jonathan's rescue. 1 Samuel 14, 43 through 45. Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you've done. And Jonathan told him and said, I only tasted a little honey with the end of the rod that was in my hand. So now I must die. Saul answered, go do so and more also for you shall surely die, Jonathan. His own son. His blood. Do you know when the move of God comes? separates people. I remember when, when I got saved and, and, um, in 1995, there was a move of God taking place in Pensacola and the church was divided. Why was the church divided? Because some thought it was a move of God and some thought it was a move of the devil. Some thought, hey, what's happening here is awesome and some thought, no, that ain't God. Because they're violating my protocols. What was a major protocol that violated, that messed with people during that time? Decency and an order. It's not decent and it's not an order. Yeah, but who determines what decency and order is? Of course I do. If it doesn't go the way I, I think it should go or it doesn't go how it's always been done, then it's out of order. <laughs> and I can see somebody standing up, you're out of order. Anyway, let me move on. So, the pe but the people said to Saul, shall Jonathan die who has accomplished this great deliverance in Israel? Can you see how the people had more sense than, than the people that had this religious mindset at the time, even though it was his own father? And some of the, some of the struggles that I had during that time were people in my own family because we were divided not only in church, but we were divided in families because we had different opinions of what was happening. And the people said, certainly not. As the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. And so the people rescued Jonathan, and he did not die. He should have been celebrated. But as it was, he was rescued from death. No celebration. He just didn't die. Why is that important for us? Okay, well, we'll get there in a minute, but let me, let me finish up. Even though he was condemned by the authorities, Jonathan was ultimately rescued by the people he was serving. The ones who were being liberated and experiencing God's work for themselves were the ones who recognized what God was doing through him. In the end, he was vindicated. I don't know if he was vindicated among the people, but he was vindicated by God. Do you hear what I'm saying? Okay. So what are some key points for us to ponder? Remember, the Lord's telling me, showing me all this in this passage for us. First thing is how Jonathan handled the situation. He was not proud. He wasn't defensive. He wasn't vindictive. Or he wasn't offensive either. He simply acknowledged his actions and he allowed the situation to play out. I remember reading a story of a woman by the name of Mariah Woodworth Eder. 
And when Mariah Woodworth Ether was on the scene, God was doing incredible things through her ministry. And one of the things that she was uh, known for in her meaning, she didn't do this, it's just God moved this way, is people would fall over, they'd go into trances, they, they'd be out, but whenever they came out, incredible fruit from that experience that they had with God. And, and people were, because she was very uh, uh, well-known, and, and you know, people that are well-known have a lot of influence, you know, they wanted her to get involved with certain things that were going on at the time. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? She refused to get involved in it. She refused to defend herself. And one of the things I felt like the Lord had me read her history is because I felt like he was saying, learn from that. Stay focused on what's ahead of you. Don't get involved. There's always going to be people that don't like you on Facebook. Learn to live with it. Don't get consumed by it. Don't try to defend yourself. Oh, I want to tell you why this happened. No. You'll never convince them. If you go, I mean, I'm, I'm serious. Some of y'all need to stay away from YouTube. Some of these people on YouTube are, are constantly coming out with videos why this person's a false prophet, why that person's a false prophet, why that person's a false prophet, but who made them the prophet? What would happen if somebody turned the tables on them? I'm not telling you to do that. But a lot of us, we get our information from these people. Oh, I did some research. Where'd you do your research? On YouTube. Hello? We need to stay out of the fray. We need to stop trying to convincing people. We need to be, stop being defensive. Let things play out. You just keep focused on the job, focused on the mission, focused on what God is doing in your life. I'm telling you, there are going to be people that are, 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 are excited about what's happening, and there are going to be people that aren't. Just learn to live with it. And there might be people that are close to you. They might be people that you love. Don't fight with them. Don't try to convince them. Don't try to logic them. Don't try to do it. Just love them and move on and do what you got to do. Yes. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Jonathan simply acknowledged his actions and allowed the situation to play out. His demeanor was one of humility. What does the Bible say? James 4 and 6. God gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It's humility that draws the presence of God. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. When you focus on defending yourself, who are you defending? Yourself. And guess who is in your eyes when you're defending yourself? Me. But if you let God be your defender. And you know what? Um, I've been through some things. The board knows. I've been through some stuff. Well, you need to say something about it. I'm not saying they said it, but some people say, say, say something. Hey, look, I get, when I got saved, I gave everything to the Lord, including my reputation. If he wants to do something with it, if he, want, he wants to let it be tarnished, then let it be tarnished. If he wants to do something about it, that's up to him. But it's not my reputation anymore. It's his. Well, people are saying this. They've always said that. They will always say that. You can't win people over. All you can do is do what God told you to do and let the chips, if you'll excuse that expression, fall where they may. Are you, are you, the second we, thing we can glean from this text, and I'm not just talking to me, I'm talking to us. Because they're going to come to you. And they're going to accuse, because I wasn't a leadership at the time, I was just part of the church when that happened, but they're going to do the same thing with you. How are you going to respond? Because what I'm saying is that, that we're going to be one of those companies of people. We're going to see breakthrough. We are seeing breakthrough, right? And the Lord is doing some things, and we're moving. But don't think that because we're having breakthrough that everybody's going to love you. Are you hearing? But we're not supposed to be proud. We're not, oh, God loves us more than he loves you. No, that's ridiculous. Don't do that. It has nothing to do with that. Don't try to defend yourself. Don't become offensive in your defensiveness. Just say, you know, Jesus said they persecuted the prophets who came before you. They're going to persecute you as well. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. 
where they're going to, what, how does it go? They're going to, Matthew 5, look it up. <laughs> right, Matthew 5, look at what? Yeah, no, but there's another one. So blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, uh, for their, for so they persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right, that's it, right. Okay. Second thing we must glean from this text is the importance of seeing our connection to the whole. We're not independent, but we're interconnected. Quite often, as in our text, the older official generation will find in the current move of God something that to them is wrong. It's not the way we did it. It's not the way God did it in our day. It's not the way we see it. It's not the way we think it should happen. And to them, it's not going to be wrong, but to them, they might even say it's sinful. Because of their views, they will often come against it. But in the end, God will have the final say. The people, those on the grassroots who are being saved, delivered, set free, experiencing the victory and deliverance from the enemy, they will not accept the skewed judgment, the skewed judgment, and they will embrace the victory that God is bringing about through his Jonathans and their company. Because they're going to be the ones that stand up and say, I used to be a prostitute. I used to be a drug addict. I used to be bound by, uh, by this stuff here, but I'm not anymore. Why? Because God saved me, healed me, delivered me. And I don't care what you say. It's kind of like that man in the book of John. They say, we know that Moses was from God, but about this man, he said, that's ridiculous. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. And he said, whether this man is from God or not, I don't know. He said, but one thing I do know, I used to be blind. Was that the one? But now I see. Was he the one that was blind? Yeah, I used to be lame, but now I walk, you know? And a man or a person with an experience is never at the mercy of a person with an argument. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's the same thing that's happened all throughout history. I read a lot of history, and you just got to know this. I'm preparing you beforehand. The traditional religious mindsets sought to do the same with Jesus because he didn't match their narrative and validate their traditions and practices. And all throughout history, whenever God began to do something, you always had uh, people that were opposed to what God was doing. Why? It doesn't match what I would do. Why didn't God do it through me? I don't know. All different reasons, but that's how the enemy works. They didn't want to receive Jesus, and they don't want to receive what God is doing through other people. And in fact, with Jesus... They went so far as to say that what was happening in his ministry through him was from the devil. And if they called him a devil, don't you think they'll call you? You know, this, this stuff where people get, you know, they get shook and, and they fall down. I'm not saying it's going to happen or they laugh, and, or what, but whatever God wants to do, you know, let them do it. Oh, that ain't from God. That's from the devil. Well, these people that get up, you know, they've been touched by God. Their lives seem to be changed. It don't look like a devil to me. The devil comes but to seek, kill, and destroy. But God has come there. They may have life and life more abundantly. Well, why do they act that way? I don't know. I just take it up with him. I, I'm not going to do it. He did it. Oh, you're hypnotizing. I wish I had that power. I don't have that power. I'm just telling you. Right? And in today's, today's society, today's technology, I'm not, I'm not an advertiser. I will not advertise. I will not go out and say, hey, you need to see and you need to. I'm not going to do that because I'm called here. I'm called to take care of you. I'm called to minister to you. Now, Jesus many times said, don't go tell everybody, but I want to tell you something. Stuff gets out. It gets out. And some people are going to be drawn to it, and some people are going to be repelled by it just the way it happens, okay? And some people are going to say that's God, and some people are going to say that's from the devil. What's important to me is that God's in the house. And what's important to me is that lives are being changed. Crutches and wheelchairs and, and, and changed lives abound 
people that were hiding in thickets and caves and 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 in state asylums and locked up in jail now they're saved set free and they're they're in the battle that's what matters to me don't care what any people think but i'm preparing you right now it's not all going to be uh, roses and and, and 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 you know and and wonderful things but what we learned from jonathan is that he didn't get into all that it's ironic that the very people that the insecure Saul feared and sought to appease recognized those very people were the ones that recognized Jonathan's exploits and followed his lead. As for Jonathan, he, he knew his fight was not with his father. And his fight was not with what his father represented. He was focused on fighting the enemy. He knew the difference even if they didn't. And I'm preparing you so that you can know the difference. They may never know the difference, but you do. Saul was not Jonathan's enemy. Saul was his king. He was his father. He was his blood. And he was his kin. And I want you to know that some of those relatives that didn't like what was happening and, and you know, were divided, they're some of my, they're, they're some of my dearest kin. They're my blood. Not supposed to be divided over that. Whether they accept it or not has nothing to do with it. It's still your family. And Saul, Jonathan knew that. And you know what? Some churches and other people that aren't going to agree and may even say things that you don't like, whatever. To the ones that were, Jesus was on the cross, he said, if you're freely from God, get down and save yourself. What did Jesus say? He didn't lose sight of the fact that he came to save them. He said, Father, forgive them. He didn't get to argument with them. He didn't try to defend them. He didn't try to tell them why they were wrong and one day you're going to pay for it. I mean, we can get into the flesh sometimes. He didn't do any of that. He didn't talk to them. He talked to his father. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then he died for them. Right? Jonathan went to battle for the kingdom of God, for the honor of God, and for the people. The very people that were wanting to kill him now were the people that he went to battle for and he never lost sight of that. So in conclusion, because they were all part of the people of God. In conclusion, I believe the Lord gave me this story as a picture of what would be happening in the days to come. I believe there will be many small companies who, unbeknownst to the upper echelons of leadership, will achieve significant breakthroughs that will create what in the end will be an earth-shaking move of God in the world around us. Because of it, much of the church who have gone over to the enemy's side and who are hiding out in their dens and their caves will be activated and rejoin the army of God. We must not reject them. We must embrace them. Also, we cannot be ignorant to the fact that not all will be open to what God is doing. Many will be judged as many of this will be judged as not of God by the very people that we're fighting for, that they're fighting for because it violates their religious mindsets and beliefs. Like Jonathan, we must not go to war with them. They are not our enemies. But in humility, we must allow God. Somebody has a tongue or interpretation. I just felt like but in humility, or, or a prophetic word, in humility we must allow God to move by focusing on fighting the true enemy. In the end, God and history will vindicate what takes place as the enemy is defeated and people are set free. Amen.